Good evening. It's good to be back with you, and it's good to see everyone with us. We appreciate you know, the opportunity to gather together here at Northfield Boulevard, whether we're in the building or in the parking lot. And we are grateful that we have each other to travel together life's journey and to help each other get to heaven. I want to begin by asking a very simple question, and that is, what is home to you? Or maybe another way to ask the same question, where is home to you? There are a number of sayings or expressions or cliches that uh, we use you know, to attempt to depict or describe you know, certain aspects of the meaning of home. Things like home sweet home, or maybe there's no place like home. And then you have a couple such as home is where you hang your hat, or home is where the heart is. I want to suggest to you and, and begin with this thought, and that is there is an old favorite hymn of many brethren about home. And this home is, let me get this on, begins this way. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Third stanza, just up in glory land will live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And the chorus goes this way. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The Bible is very clear. The gospel of Christ reveals that this world, this earthly life that we have here and now, is not to be the Christian's home. Our home is to be somewhere else now. Now we plan and we save and we build as we provide dwellings and refuge for our families just the way we want them to be. And, and there's a place for that. And we spend a lot of time accumulating things to make our life comfortable. And there's not necessarily anything wrong in that if our priorities are kept straight. But we do have to, from time to time, be on guard, be careful, be circumspect, lest we forget that we are just stewards. We are mere stewards of earthly responsibilities and earthly opportunities for just passing moments. It is so brief. It is a vapor, as we are told. And so you think about that old favorite song, this world is not my home. And we sing that from time to time. And I want you just for a moment to ask yourself, and that is, do you mean that every time you sing? You mean that from the bottom of your heart that that is true. 
that this world is not your home. And it's okay to leave it. Or has had that familiarity of song become maybe an empty word? We like the tune, we like the thought, but it's just a passing thought. And so when we sing it, we're not really thinking about that being so true in the moment. And so perhaps as we sing it, it becomes empty words, it becomes vain worship, it becomes maybe a bit of hypocrisy that we're to avoid as we walk through this world. I want us to talk a little bit about this tonight, and that is this world is not our home. Let's begin by turning to Hebrews. We're going to be looking at a familiar passage tonight, and hopefully it is simply a lesson to be encouraging, a lesson to be an exhortation, but also a lesson to be a reminder as we travel here below that this is just temporary, this is just for a short time, and that is okay. No matter how short it may be for us, that is all right. Because our home is somewhere else. So in Hebrews chapter 11, you've got that great chapter of faith. And in this chapter, we look at the idea how faith, genuine faith in God, in his plan, longs for the home in heaven. And so let us you know, turn there and let us very briefly read these verses as we contemplate for a moment you know, men and women of faith that are heroes to us. So in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, beginning there in verse 8, the Holy Spirit says, By faith, Abraham. Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. And he obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing, not knowing where he was going. Have you ever thought about that? You're going somewhere, but you don't know where. You're just told every day how far you have to go. What direction you're heading. By faith, he obeyed when called, went out. And he says, verse 9, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Dwelling in tents. With Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and whose builder is God. And then it says, by faith, even Sarah. Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man in him as good as dead. Now that's, a, that's an expression, isn't it? <laughs> to be up in years and, and to be told that you're as good as dead. And so it was at that. And yet, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. But he goes on to say all of these, Abraham, Sarah, and others, all of these, they died. They died in faith. And without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. 
But as it is, they desire a better, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed. God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a place for them. Genuine faith longs for that home in heaven with God. And what you have here in the context of Hebrews 11 and the verses that we, we are just contemplating for a moment, and that is, you've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, you've got Jacob, you've got all of these men of faith. They were truly pilgrims. Pilgrim is the land that would be given to their descendants. And the journey that they were on was a journey of faith. A journey of faith where they heeded God's directions. And you think about Abram particularly. Abram leaving behind everything that he called home. Where he grew up. All that was, everything was called home. He left that. And even while living in the promised land, while he lived there, it wasn't his. He didn't possess any land. He was like a stranger. He was like a foreigner. He was like an alien in the very land that one day God was going to give as an inheritance because God made a promise. And God always keeps his promise. Always. And although he was blessed, richly blessed along the way, as we see you know, this, the, the amount of uh, livestock that he possessed. He was a rich man as he lived this very nomadic lifestyle. And yet, at the same time, he was looking for something better. He was looking for something greater. Because his faith looked beyond the present moments. And the moments of Abraham... Involve good moments as well as bad moments. And you think about that. Do you think he had to learn how to handle the path of uncertainty? You think you know, there was some uncertainty along the way? I would suggest perhaps he felt that a little bit at least. But he didn't walk by sight, did he? He walked by faith. He listened to God. He followed God's direction. Did Abraham always have the answers? No. And did he always do everything perfectly right? No. He didn't do that either. But he walked by faith, and he kept looking to the heavenly end. And so while these men and women like Abraham and Sarah, they live by faith, but they confess that this world, this land, this place where they journeyed, it was not their home. They weren't putting roots down because their destination was a heavenly country. Their destination was one where God had built and prepared a city for them. And so their heart was somewhere else. Their affections were not rooted in their physical lives, even though they had to live it. And they had to see to all the needs and the cares and concerns that come with life. But their affections were somewhere else. Paul, I think, expresses the same idea, the same kind of longing. When you think about some things that he says in Philippians chapter 1, there in verse 21, he said, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But then look at verse 23. You're familiar with the struggle here. 
being pulled in two different directions. But I am impressed by these words. When Paul says in the 23rd verse, I am hard pressed. I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Paul longed for the same thing that Abraham and Sarah and all these other men of faith who died in faith, having not received the ultimate promise of rest. And so we need to have that same kind of longing. The kind of faith that produces that intensity and depth of understanding of what this life is all about and what the next life is all about. That we understand and we, we make the right judgments and we make the right discernments and we are looking up. As talked about in 2 Corinthians, which you read earlier in chapter 5 there. Our longing should be a longing where you know, we desire to be clothed with a heavenly dwelling. It's not that we just want to die. We want to be clothed, though, with the immortality that puts us in God's presence. We want to be where God is. We want to be where, what God has prepared. And I really like the expression there in chapter 5, verse 5. When he talks about this is what he's purposed for us. We needed that kind of life. We, want, we should be longing for what God has purposed. And what he's purposed is something so much more than even the joys of this life. And yet, I think we all, in one way or another are distracted at times. That this, this world, this life, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of joy. God wants us to enjoy the goodness of his blessings. And I, but I think we all at times can be attracted too much by it and therefore distracted by it as well, by these earthly connections. It's not all bad. We can be distracted by family. We can be distracted by friends. We can be distracted by the stuff of life, the pleasures of life. We can be distracted by life itself. And so we are reminded by the hymn and by the words of the Holy Spirit himself. This world is not my home. Faith is looking and longing for heaven. When I read the reports that we receive you know, from the men that we support, reports about the work in Africa or the work in the Philippines, when I read that and hear what's going on and hear about the brethren in those places, and you see you know, their faces, you see their circumstances, so you, you see the pictures that sometimes they, they send with that. I don't know about you, but it, it, it's good for me to see that and to read that because it humbles me. It makes me to consider my faith. It makes me to consider my priorities. It makes me to consider my circumstances. It makes me consider my goals. And I realize that this world is not our home. It's not. But moving on, let's look at another passage. Over in Ephesians 2, 
And that is where we're reminded that in Christ, when we are in fellowship with Christ and in Christ, we are reminded that we are no longer strangers, we're no longer aliens toward God. And so you look there in Ephesians 2, and, and we read verse 11 and verse 12, where it says, Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember, remember, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world, remember, he says. Remember what you were without Christ. Remember your state. Remember your condition. Remember your hopelessness. And then, as you come to the close of the chapter, you pick up there in verse 19... And so you look in verse 19 and it reads, So then, you are no longer strangers. Before you were strangers. But he says, So then, you're no longer strangers and no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You're of God's household now. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing. Growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also, you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And so Paul reminds the saints in Ephesus and us as well today that without Christ, what is life? Without Christ, life is vanity. Life is empty. Life has no lasting benefit. Why? Because we are lost and we are separate from God. But Jesus came. And Jesus did His Father's will and He fulfilled His Father's plans so that Jew and Gentile all alike may share together the covenants of promise. And so sinners may be adopted by God in, and added to the household of God. And so sinners may have a fellowship now of belonging. They're not strangers anymore. They're not aliens anymore. In Christ, you are somebody. You are someone. You're God's child. You're the king's brethren. You're of God's family now. And you think about that idea where once, once we are found by the shepherd, and once we are reconciled through the lamb's blood, what are we? We are restored. We're restored back to our creator 
where we began the journey. When life was, was given to us and we entered this world, we're restored to the one who created us, the one who has given us life, the one who is sustaining our lives. We're restored because of Jesus. And because of that restoration, because of the reconciliation and justification and sanctification, we are at home in our Father's hands. And He now leads us. I think the words expressed by the Father of the parable of the prodigal son also helps us to come to maybe uh, see just the beauty of this idea that we're no longer strangers to God anymore. We're no, no longer alienated from our Father anymore. When, when the Father you know, says to the older brother about the son that has returned home, he was dead. He's begun to live. He was lost. He has been found. We're home in Christ. We are fellow citizens in God's household because He chose us. He's made us His children, He's made us His possession. And Abraham was looking for that. Isaac and Jacob were looking for that. For that home. For that family. For that eternal foundation. It is in Christ that we are exalted as citizens of an everlasting kingdom of glory. As the Spirit speaks of in Hebrews chapter 12. You look there particularly in... The 22nd verse. In verse 22 through 24. I want you to take note of the tense here. As the Spirit speaks to saints. And He calls them to be on guard. Calls them to faithfulness. Calls them to, to stand firm and not be deceived. And led astray into apostasy. He says to them. You have come. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You're not in heaven yet, but you have come. You have arrived. It goes on to end to God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. You have come. When we're in Christ, we're not aliens to God. We're not strangers. We are his children. And we're in a fellowship where we are in his loving arms of care and concern and provision. And so we have come to a glorious relationship. And men of old, as you read there in Hebrews chapter 11, men of old, they searched for this spiritual home. 
but they didn't attain to what we have. They, don't have, they didn't have what we have in Christ. And they didn't have it because God's plan included us. God didn't want us to leave us out. He wanted many sons to be conformed to the image of the firstborn, his son Jesus Christ, and to welcome them home eternally. So in Christ, we are, we are not a stranger, but we are at home with God. And yet at the same time, we are, are reminded, we are encouraged, we are exhorted to think about the fact that God's children are to be strangers, though. We're not strangers to God. We're not aliens to God. But we are to be strangers. We are to be pilgrims. We are to be foreigners in the world, in the present world, in the, in the present generation. We find ourselves journeying for a time. A new life in Christ is a new calling. And it is a calling of a spiritual fellowship and fit spiritual citizenry. But the eternal abode is yet to come. So, yes, in the meantime, we're strangers in this world traveling to our eternal home above. And I just find it's interesting, the contrast here, where Paul in Ephesians says, you're not strangers, you're not aliens. But then Peter says, or actually Peter urges us, he admonishes us, he, he exhorts us. To be strangers. Paul says, you're not a stranger. And Peter says, you need to be one. And so it all depends on the context. As you look there in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, and the exhortation is you know, to us, Beloved, I urge you, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. He said, I urge you, be an alien. Be a stranger to this world. And the distinction is, what are we a stranger to? What are, we, are we a stranger to God and his dwelling, or are we a stranger to the world and its enticement? Which one is going to be? And we have a choice in that. Can a disciple of Christ, can a disciple of Jesus abide in Christ and at the same time be absent from the Lord? Yes, he can. Because that's the point in 2 Corinthians 5. Those who abide in the teaching of Christ have both the Father and the Son. And so, yes, they're at home in the Lord, with the Lord, being cared for by the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But as they journey here below, they're still absent from their final home, the real home, the real rest. And so we have to ask ourselves, as James writes in chapter 4, verse 4, and that is, well, whose friendship do we spend more time cultivating? Whose friendship do we put forth more energy treasuring? Who do you want for your best friend? And who is your best friend? 
The words of verse 4 says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's why Peter urges us and the saints of old, consider yourself aliens and strangers in this world. Come out from it, be separate, abstain from it. If cares and concerns of this world consume us, and if we seek first a worldly home, well, the end result will be that we'll be strangers to God. Lost. Alienated. But if we're separating ourselves and alienating ourselves from this world, from a love of this world and the things of the world, then... The opposite is true. Then we're at home with God. And there is a home already prepared for us. And it is for that reason Paul considered earthly gains as worthless. And that's why he pressed on toward this eternal prize. In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3 verse 7, he says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In verse 14, I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has. Even to subject all things to himself. Paul longed to be with the Lord. And as he expressed earlier in this letter, that was his first choice. It was left up to his, his first preference. He says, I'd much rather leave this world and be with Jesus. To be at rest. But as long as God had a purpose for him, he was willing to serve. And he did so valiantly, and he did so courageously, and he did so faithfully to the very end. And all along, he kept his focus on, on above things, no matter what. We are in a spiritual war. It's a spiritual war that has been in progress since the beginning of time. And there are intense battles that are being fought every day and won in, every, in, in everyone's life. There are intense battles. Somebody's winning those battles. Which side are you and I on? Are we an alien in this world? Are we a friend of this world? Are we a stranger to it with our heart on things above? But are, or are we clinging to it, not ready to let go of it? My encouragement to you as we think about those words, this world is not my home, is stay focused. They focused 
and fight the good fight. But watch out. Watch out, there are enemy landmines all around you. Be careful where you step. But along the way, make sure you keep your armor on. God's armor. Securely fastened. Ready and willing and able to stand firm because you are. Where is your home? What is home to you? Where is your heart? And with whom do you long to be with the most? If you believe that there is truly a better place waiting for you, and that's what you need to be living for. And if, you, if you're not a Christian, if you have not put on Christ in obedience to Him, then you have not begun that journey. And your soul is at risk. And you're separate from Christ and you're without hope. It's only by coming to Christ and being in Christ that we find what home is all about. And it's not here. It's not here. If we can help you any way spiritually tonight, to put on Christ by with helping you with your confession of faith and assisting you in being buried in Christ in baptism or praying with you and for you as a brother in Christ, whatever your spiritual need may be, I invite your courage to please come now. Make your wishes known while we stand and sing.